0: Welcome to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and thank you for joining me for this special episode this week brought to you by GoDaddy.com, so you can buy your own domain name, build your site, or use any of GoDaddy's business tools and save 30% right now. All you have to do is head over to podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. There'll be a link in the show notes for today's show, or you can head on over to the resources page and click on the GoDaddy icon to save 30%. Today, all right. So, why the special episode today? Well, I'm thrilled to have on as my guest Dave Chase. Dave is the co-founder of the Health Rosetta, that consists of two main pillars: Impact. The Health Rosetta Institute is an education and certification entity that is like LEED slash Fair Trade for healthcare. Media that includes the film and books. The Big Heist is the first fiercely nonpartisan satirical film to tackle healthcare. In addition, they're publishing the CEO's Guide to Restoring the American Dream, How to Deliver World-Class Healthcare to Your Employees at Half the Cost part two pillar, investment. So backing the transformation of healthcare, including the Quad Aim AIM Fund, a seed stage venture fund. Chase was named one of the most influential people in digital health due to his entrepreneurial success, public speaking and writing, that recognizes healthcare's underperformance, but contrasts that with a growing cadre of high-performing organizations that have solved healthcare's toughest challenges. Chase, who's widely published, co-authored the Healthcare Book of the Year in 2014. He was the CEO and co-founder of Avedo, which was acquired by and integrated into WebMD and the most widely used healthcare professional site, Medscape. Before Avedo, Chase spent several years outside of healthcare and startups as founder or consulting roles with LiveRes.com, Market Leader, and What Counts. He, He also played founding and leadership roles in launching two 1 billion plus businesses within Microsoft, including their 2 billion healthcare platform business. So... He's got lots of experience in the healthcare world, and we talk about a lot of the things that I just mentioned that are part of his platform. So we talk about what is Health 3.0 and why human relationships take the forefront of this framework, how to target the quadruple aim, not the triple aim, but the quadruple aim of a better patient experience, better outcomes, lower costs, and happier clinicians. We talk about Health Rosetta, the blueprint for wise healthcare purchasing, physical therapy's important role in the emergent changes of Health 3.0, and why Dave is such a proponent of PT. And he also gives some great examples of companies, cities, schools that are getting this healthcare thing right. So I really hope you enjoy this. I hope it makes you think. For those of you going to the Graham sessions, which is tomorrow... Dave is the keynote speaker there, so I'm really looking forward to hearing more from him and really learning more about this Health 3.0 and how we as physical therapists can really take a leading role. So before we get to that, again, today I'm happy that we are sponsored by GoDaddy. So it makes registering domain names fast, simple, and affordable. Find out why so many business owners choose GoDaddy to be their domain name registrar. So I have GoDaddy. I love it. I've never had a problem with them. I highly recommend it. So, if you want to save 30% and get your domain name or use any of their other services, go to podcast.healthywealthy smart. You can go to the resources page, click on the GoDaddy icon, or go to the show notes in today's show and click on the link in the show notes. And uh, without further ado, I am so excited for you all to listen to this great interview with Dave Chase. Hi, Dave. Welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to have you on.
1: Looking forward to our chat. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, so obviously read your bio in the intro. I would love for you to kind of fill in some blanks for us so that the listeners get a better idea of who you are and why you're here.
1: Great. Well, I'm not the Sopranos producer, so if you see a David Chase out there uh, that's Sopranos, that's not me. I'm Dave Chase. And I'd say I'm you know pretty Googleable, but I would say probably the most uh, relevant gap, uh, for this conversation is I've been a very, uh, very much a beneficiary of PT services and that's not on my, um, bio. So I've had back issues, uh, here and there over the years and have become a real believer in the benefits of physical therapy. So you won't see that on my bio, but it's a uh, important part of, of how I've maintained, uh, my well being and pretty good fit athlete for somebody my age. So that's been a big part of it.
0: Yeah. And I love hearing when people have good experiences with physical therapy because oftentimes in the media it's pain and torture or it hurts or, you know, it didn't work. So I just stopped.
1: So- yeah. Well, it hurt before I got there. And boy, I can tell you, you can understand why people want. Pain relievers when you have a knife, what feels like a knife in your back. Um, but boy, there's there's certainly a better way than, you know, there's a time and a place for pills and surgeries and all that. But boy, there's a lot of times where physical therapy is a much better path.
0: Yes, and I could not agree more. Although I am a little biased. So now you're coming to the Graham Sessions this year. So for those of you who don't know, the Graham Sessions is like a one and a half day conference. It's run through the private practice section. And this is the ten-year anniversary of that. So, how did you come to get involved in in that in uh, in the Graham sessions?
1: Well, uh, Steve Anderson, who's uh, you know a career-long physical therapist and leader, uh, has been very involved in the Graham sessions, and uh, somehow hunted me down. Um, I'd have to ask him actually what what initially put me on his radar but he reached out and let me know about the event and and what they are you know have done in the past it sounded like a great session kind of think tanky and people out of the normal sort of hubbub and and that's right up my alley so I was excited to do it
0: yeah and and this podcast will is kind of going out the day before the Graham session so that way people who are going will get a little sneak peek of you and people who aren't going also get to be a kind of part of the part of the sessions. So uh, again, thank you for coming on. Now, let's get into the meat of the discussion here. So we're talking about healthcare. Healthcare is obviously in the news quite a bit with transitions into new administrations at least certainly here in the United States. And it's let's just be honest, it's not a great system, right?
1: I think we can agree on that. That's for sure. You know, we, we, given all the smarts and passion, uh, and you know, amazing people and breakthroughs and the money we spend, we should expect a lot more.
0: Right. And so where, where do we go from here? I know in one of your blog posts, uh, or no, I think it was an article on Forbes where you wrote about health 3.0. So what does that mean? And how far away are we from that?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, there are people um, living Health 3.0 today, not nearly enough, um, but it is actually out there. And the way I think of Health 3.0 is, you know, taking the best aspects of Health 1.0, which are, you know, the deep, sacred relationships and uh, autonomy that the clinicians had and and then you take some of the key pieces of health 2.0, the good parts of it, um, the technology, the evidence, the teams, the systems thinking, and but then restore the human relationship that's really at the heart of healing, and bolster it, you know, with a team that's revolving around the patient, um, and you know, really as a team working together and other caregivers, including the non-professional members of the care team. And then what you get is vastly greater than the sum of the parts. Um, And there's certainly plenty of of failings of health 1.0 and 2.0, which we may talk about. But that's kind of how I would sum it up.
0: And so when you're talking about sort of the best aspects, and you mentioned autonomy of practice. So where has that kind of gone off the rails? And why do you think that happened?
1: Well, I mean, I think that it was a reaction, some would say overreaction, um, to some of the failings of Health 1.0, while there were some positive aspects that we don't want to lose. um, You know, we shouldn't forget that um, a lot of it wasn't all that great. The the unfettered autonomy, you know, with it came high costs, body quality, a lot of, you know, evidence-based medicine not existing, you know, it was a lot of intuition and volume-based incentivize, um, do just doing things to people instead of for people. And, you know, the, though the relationship was sacred with a patient, um, you know, it was more like, you know, the doctor playing the, the role of captain of the ship with the rest of the healthcare team kind of being the subordinates. Um, and so that certainly had its shortcomings. And so I think, 2.0 was kind of a response to that. Um, and, but I think with it, what we've had is, um, well, of course there are great things about, um, you know, having evidence and having technology. And and like I said, some of the good things about it, but what we've gotten with health 2.0 is really the era of big medicine, large corporate groups, buying practices and hospitals and, and, you know, uh, EMRs, PQRS, HCAS, MACRA, PRESS, Ganey, LEAN, 6 Sigma. and it's like just one thing after another. It's sort of the medicine as machine mm-hmm. and medicine as assembly line. And, you know, us as clinicians and patients become cogs in the machinery. And, you know, instead of, you know, ceding authority to physicians, we've ceded authority to, to government administrators and, you know, algorithms and treating a computer screen rather than the patient. And, um, you know, the doc isn't the boss, but neither is the rest of the healthcare team nor the patient. We're sort of all treated as commodities and kind of raw materials in this machine. And like I said earlier, we can do so much better than that.
0: And, I I mean, is is it the, I think a big part of this is, you know, you have reimbursement issues. and, And I hear this a lot that oftentimes people are doing insurance medicine instead of regular medicine. Because of decreased reimbursement, you're seeing X amount of patients per hour that takes away from the good parts of Health 1.0, which was being with the patient, learning about your patient, being able to see that patient as a person versus, like you said, just a name on a computer screen. Yep. So how what needs to be done? Because I, I don't see that it doesn't seem to me like that's changing anytime soon or, or maybe it is.
1: Well, it's in pockets again, not nearly broadly enough and not nearly fast enough. Um, but it it is happening in pockets. Um, what we want to do is really just accelerate that. And, um, but it is a very significant change. I mean, the analogy that I draw is, and and I think a lot of the efforts at at fixing the systems basically are just throwing more stuff on top of a broken system. And mm-hmm. boy, I think the first thing I learned as a new consultant, you know, out of school was don't automate a broken process or don't throw technology on top of a broken process. And healthcare is just riddled with throwing technology on top of a broken process. Mm-hmm. And you know I, I sort of joke that the reimbursement system is a Gordian knot designed by Rube Goldberg I mean you could not design a more convoluted system so what you know is happening sort of in in sort of you know part of, I think as health 3.0 is kind of this North star and then it's like okay well, what's the roadmap you mm-hmm. know I to get there um, and i I believe you know what I see and what I believe is is that it's almost like cities switching from steam and oil power to electricity. It wasn't like one day steam and oil turned off and electricity fired up. There was this overlap period, and that's what you see smart employers doing is they don't necessarily take away the old broken um, system. They just say, well, you know, employees, if you want to still deal with that, it's going to be kind of the same ritual we're going through every year, where you every year you pay more and get less and deductibles are going to go up and copays are going to go up and you're going to be that cog in the machine. But, Oh, now we have this, this, you know, new benefit. We'll we'll call that old, you know, system or old plan kind of, you know, tier two. And with tier one, we take a fresh look and, um, do things like reinvigorate primary care, You know, we've done everything in this country imaginable to undermine primary care and just turn it into a milk in the back of the store referral machine. Right. Um, You know, and so there's things like that that, you know, of course, there's a lot more there um, that can be done that you see are just breathtaking, you know, where employers are spending 20, 30, 55% less per capita on benefits with some really challenging uh, employee, you know, health, uh, situations and f- fantastic outcomes and, you know, a better benefits package than what 99% of the workforce has. So, it, you know, it literally can be done, is being done. Um, we're just trying to accelerate more and more and have that become the predominant, uh, approach that, um, you know, any type of purchase or healthcare takes.
0: And so how are they doing that? How are they getting, you know, better results for less money. I mean, that's the triple aim, right?
1: Yep. Good care, better Uh
0: results, less money.
1: Yeah. You know, and and the thing that as I started going on this quest over the last several years to find out who's already fixed it, Mm -hmm. the thing that I found was actually the quadruple aim, which was, it's kind of common sense. If you care for the care team, and that's definitely the professional members of the care team, but it's also the non-professional members of the care team because, you know, it might be a spouse or mm-hmm. adult, you know, adult daughter or whatever, um, that when you care for the, the care team that naturally leads to a better patient experience, that's when the magic happens, that partnership that naturally leads to better outcomes and in the proper model, yeah, it leads to lower costs. Um, and so... In terms, so that's you know what I've seen, what's happening, in terms of you know very big picture, um, what they do is one I already mentioned, which is they, uh, you know, frankly reinvent primary care to how it should be as a foundation of any properly functioning healthcare system, and then they carefully manage high cost medical items in a in a smart evidence based way. So. You know, certainly in, in your arena, um, you know, musculoskeletal disorders is typically 15, 20% of spend. Um, and I heard just a crazy statistic that was, or maybe just more, I won't call it a statistic, I'll call it back of the envelope,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: calculation that said 2% of the entire U.S. economy was tied up in non value add musculoskeletal procedures which is just staggering you know basic math is you know about 20% of the economy is healthcare about 20% is is um you know in musculoskeletal and half of that is non evidence based non value add i mean like you know more extreme of that was the study that Starbucks and Virginia Mason did where they found that 90% of the in Virginia Mason's words, you know, outstanding healthcare facility, 90% Mm -hmm. of the spinal procedures they were doing didn't help at all.
0: Yeah. Uh, And that's, that's part of the billion dollar industry of low back pain, right? More spent on low back pain than the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq combined. Yeah. Yeah, That's a huge amount of money. So, and a lot of that is unfortunately procedures that maybe are not as effective as people would like them to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I certainly understand that having had, you know, a few incidents of pretty severe back uh, pain where, you know, it's like you're being waterboarded or something. I mean, it's torture um, and you'll do anything to make it stop.
0: hundred And,
1: and if, if you're only told, I mean, people talk about rationing care when health reform talks, you know, comes up, the real story is we ration choices in our healthcare system. If you're only told of one option, which a lot of times they are, then you're like, okay, if I got to get back surgery, bring it on, man, anything, make this go away. Um, but if you're actually informed of the choices available to you, um, and this is what I found when talking to these organizations, these you know, great next generation quadruple am achieving organizations. Like, how did you do it? How did you get, you know, ED visits and surgeries and hospital days and whatnot down 30 to 50%. And they said, look, Dave, you know, if you give people options, they're almost always going to choose the least invasive option first. And, you know, if you need to escalate, you escalate. Um, but if you'd never told about those options, how could you choose them? Um, And, you know, I get it. You know, I mean, I, I had, you know, cortisone shot in my spine years ago, like my first incident and, and maybe that was the right thing, but boy, that was the only option I was told about. Yeah. Um,
0: That's, that's really sad. Yeah. Right. It is.
1: And so, you know, we need to just step up, you know, the, and that's where, um, you know, I, I focus on employers because they are the ones in a lot of ways who are leading the way. And, uh, and it's they've been led to to believe, frankly, a lot of myths and lies about healthcare not being able to be controlled, and and employers manage to tackle some really complicated things outside of their core business, whether it's you know hedging currencies or you know commodities, and you know managing four hundred one k plans, and the fact is, healthcare costs for most companies. Are the second or maybe the third biggest cost, um, and it's it's solvable. Companies are solving it, um, and uh, so you know what I'm focusing a lot of my energies on, and I'll talk about certainly at the Graham sessions. And I think there's opportunity to really partner with the the PT community on part of this is um, basically the blueprint for how to purchase healthcare smart um no no reason to have that be some state secret um and that was certainly one of the frustrating things to me was as I was on this quest and you know I meanwhile running this tech startup and that's a pretty demanding thing and you know I'm have a personal life and try to stay fit like and I was finding this stuff and I'm not a benefits guy and I would share it with some benefits people and you would have thought I'd showed them fire for the first time like they'd never heard of such a thing. I'm like, geez, guys, what are you doing? Like, this is your job, not my job. Um, and I realized just how bad, uh, we are in a lot of ways about sharing information. And so, you know, I just gave a name to it, health Rosetta and started sharing what I was hearing. And, and, you know, people are willing to share this stuff, which is great. And, and if people go to, you know, the, The site where we have it, healthrosetta.org, it's, you know, it's just a moment in time. You know, they have things that are better, you know, as I bring it on. I hope what we have isn't the best. I hope somebody will find better stuff and more detail in particular areas. And, you know, it's definitely a journey, not you know, a end point that we're at right
0: now. And when you talk about a blueprint for how to purchase smarter healthcare, are you speaking in terms of companies choosing for their employees or for the individual employees purchasing for themselves or the individual entrepreneur who's going and, and trying to get healthcare for themselves? Or are we looking at a bigger picture of the country as a whole?
1: I mean, ultimately it's the big picture. Um, and very little, if any of it, is even U.S. specific, mm-hmm. and it's and it's not meant to be private or public um, payer uh, type of situation. And um, the reality is, you know, you 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 know, healthcare is not going to change overnight in one fell swoop. And so, the reason I focus on employers is they, you know, while consumerism and individual empowerment and control is great, and I'm all for it. Um, you know, most, most people aren't in a position where they have that literacy and have the, or even the tools are available to them. So the proxy are, uh, the companies and, uh, you know, and they can do these things, like I said today. And I absolutely hope, uh, Medicare and Medicaid pick up on it and anybody in any country, cause it's really not us specific. Mm-hmm. um, but you just kept say, okay, where are you gonna, you know, use that electricity metaphor? What what was that, you know, what were those first cities that turned on electricity and, and fired it up and, you know, got these things going? And it's sort of just finding that coalition, the willing. And I think the reality will be that there will be particular geographies and particular types of organizations that step up first in, in terms of types of employers, what I've seen. Um, Initially to my surprise, you know, which was, you know, I thought the tech industry might be innovative and smart about benefits, just maybe being because I'm out of that industry and somehow arrogantly thought that they'd be smart about it. Um and they're not. That <laughs> most of them are drunken profits and <laughs> just are the worst purchasers ever. Um And the reality is necessity is the mother of invention. And Mm -hmm. some of the organizations that are being the smartest about it are manufacturers, public entities like schools and cities, unions, uh, hoteliers. I mean, basically people who have a thin margin um, or budget constrained, you know, they have to do it. And so that's, you know, I'm agnostic as to where it happens, Mm -hmm. Um, but that's what I'm seeing is... And I think the nice thing about, say, something like a school district doing it is as people realize, man, you know, they care about their kids and they care about their education. And like I highlighted um, Pittsburgh area schools and what they did. And it's amazing. And it's basically the same stuff everybody else is doing, but it's something where kindergartners in Pittsburgh are going to have $2 billion more available during their K-12 years than their counterparts in Philly who are needlessly spending 40% more. Um, and so you know, that means 30% smaller class sizes, teachers are paid better in Pittsburgh, uh, four times as many librarians, they've got better benefits – and as peop- the nice thing about schools is people are like, oh, my God, this is great. And especially if if they find out that they're, you know, top of the class, so to speak, um, you know, of course, a lot of people have kids that are in those schools that, you know, are HR directors or business owners or union leaders or whatever. And so, you know, that's the way these – the messages can kind of spread. Yeah, and, it spreads. And, yeah. I yeah. mean, you look at any, any huge societal – challenge that we've tackled in this country, it always gets solved bottom up, whether it's Mm -hmm. civil rights or climate or energy independence or food. I mean, eventually the politicians will run to the front of the parade and that's great. Um, but why wait?
0: And so the Pittsburgh area schools have, they have just found a better way to offer lower cost healthcare. care.
1: Yeah. I mean, generally what you see happen is it's kind of this progression where they, you know, have some budget constraint or issue, um, and realize, man, this is becoming the definition of insanity, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, and so in their case, the union and schools got together and like looked and said, you know what, actually our common foe, so to speak, isn't each other. (laughs) Um, you know, it's, it's the healthcare industry that's draining our budgets. Um, let's get together. Um, and they tackled it. And so then you know, they did the things like I talked about, carefully mm-hmm. manage high-cost items. They get primary care. And generally what you see happen is maybe they get a little dip in their costs. But generally what happens is at that point, costs flatten. So they're eight years in, costs flatten. Meanwhile, everybody else's costs go up and every year ago that goes by, they look like a bigger and bigger hero. Um, because
0: everybody and, else's are going up, but theirs are yeah. staying flat.
1: Yeah. 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 So it's not yeah, like, yeah. You know, they're, they're still, you know, it's not like they're denying care or something like that. Mm-hmm. They're just, they're smarter about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you look at, you know, the manufacturer that's spending 30% less, guess what? They're, they're at it for like somewhere between three and five years or the hotel year that I've talked about that, you know They're 20 years in, so they're spending 55% less, and they realize they can actually do a lot more than than that. So it's really just, they just flatten costs while everybody else just spiked up.
0: Got it, got it. And then because those costs have lowered, it allows those, whether it be schools or organizations or companies, to do more things for the people within the organization.
1: Yeah, yeah. So then so, you have
0: happier workers, you have happier schools, you have happier cities, maybe? Yeah, Um absolutely.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's the city I used to live in. In fact, Steve Anderson, we're talking about, lives in Kirkland, Washington. Mm -hmm. If you're a Costco shopper, that's Costco started in Kirkland, and Kirkland's signature is after Kirkland, Washington. And they've done that. They've done a great job. They put in a good primary care clinic. They have this kind of whole health approach, um, and it's lowered their costs like 25%. And employees love it. And you know, they continue to expand. I think like eight of the nine unions are on board. Um, and, uh, you know, this oak manufacturer in Oklahoma is um, spending 30% less. Um, you know, I, about a little over a year ago, was in um, Tulsa speaking at an event, and I was asking the the benefits guy who worked with them, like, my gosh, how did they... Remove 97% of what he called pricing failure, which is the gap between the so-called PPO discount, which is you know way below the bogus build charges, mm-hmm. and what what was a fair market clearing price, um, and it was which typically is like 40% less than the so-called PPO discount. And I'm like, how on earth did you know? I you do that? And I'm like, well, you cut out all the nightmare billing and you pay right away, and you know they're happily willing to take that on the provider side. Um, but then on the employer side, um, they basically, um, employee side, I should say what they did in some was they made good decisions free or near free and made bad decisions expensive. And so he said, you know, I was just this high school football game. Um, and I was surrounded by this family. that gave me this big bear hug and, uh, you know, it was like, nice, but it's like, why are you hugging me? And he, they said, well, you know, speaking of, you know, back procedure, in this case, the the gentleman did, in fact, need a um, back surgery. And in the old system that they had, and, and if they, would you know, stuck to that kind of tier two thing, um, their plan had a $3,000 max out of pocket, this family was probably like, of American households have less than $1,000 in savings. Mm -hmm. uh, He had to get the procedure. It would have meant um, certainly no Christmas for the kids that year, probably bankruptcy. Instead, the only paperwork they had to deal with was a thank you survey. They paid zero. um, And, you know, that was really meaningful for them. And that company is able to, you know, it was great for the employee. That company um, in their industry, the, uh, percent of budget, uh, spent on R and D is 4%. They spend 9%. So that's great for their business too. Um, so, you know, real wins all, all the way around.
0: Right. So because the company that this person who needed the back surgery was kind of operating at this health 3.0, where they were able to lower their costs due to, you know, having more primary care available, this gentleman didn't have to pay so much for his surgery because there was more available.
1: yeah, and there was a well it was more available and they did a direct contract so uh, direct when contract, you do right. when you do a direct contract and you remove all the brain damage of all the claims mm-hmm. and the delays and collecting from the patient and and you know the way that they got the employees on board was they just would go through you know, a few examples and explain, you know, okay, you know, Bob needs a rotator cuff procedure. Um, here's what, you know, this hospital in town would be able to build charges. Here's what the PPO discount was. Well, here's, um, if you go here, because we cut out all this pain and suffering for the provider, they will go significantly lower than that. Got and it. And beca- because of that, we, if you go that route, if you want to go the other route, you're welcome to. Um, but if you go this route, we will waive all copays, deductibles, you know, you name it, you're, you're going to pay zero. You know, they <laughs> their solution, they call it the zero card. You know, they present the zero card and they pay zero. And
0: that's Got pretty it. easy to understand. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So you're cutting out all the, cause listen, as a practitioner, the paperwork's a killer,
1: well, right, yeah. I mean, you, you that's spend where I got my career started was in you know what we call revenue cycle management mm-hmm. today, and you know like I said that 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 uh, Gordian knot designed by Rube Goldberg. I mean it's just horrific for providers dealing with that,
0: and you end up spending more of your time doing paperwork than actually engaging with the patient.
1: Yep, and yep. so if
0: you can take that away, and the doctors, even the surgeons, can do what they do best, then yep. they're okay taking. A little less money because they don't have to do as much of the the administrative work. That that's not what you want to even go to school to be an administrator.
1: Exactly, and right? exactly, and because they have more time and they're such a great price, guess what? They win more business. Absolutely, um, and so it feeds a nice virtuous cycle mm-hmm. that way.
0: And then you have so they get more business. So, and that's at a lower cost for the patient, the patient's happy, they have good outcomes and you sort of have the patient in the center with everyone else kind of working around it, making it easier for everyone, which is the quadruple aim. Yep. Perfectly, in a nutshell.
1: Yep. Okay, yeah.
0: got it. And that sounds very easy. Now, we know things that sound easy are oftentimes the hardest things to come together. And it, you know, it kind of reminds me of when we... So when we talk about pain, we talk about pain as being an emergent property versus mm-hmm. a linear property. And it seems to me like this health 3.0 is, is just that. It is something that is taking on an emergent property versus a A plus B equals C. Right, right. Right? Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And, and it, like you said, it's going to have to come from a lot of different places all emerging together to make for yep. a stronger system.
1: And and those places are
0: coming from all over.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think of it like, um, you know, you can take it a step at a time. You don't have to do all, you know, the things in the health rosetta or whatever. Mm -hmm. You take it a step at a time. And, you know, the – I don't know if this is a, uh, you know, (laughs) sort of story that works uh, everywhere. But, you know, living in the West, you know, you're you're aware of how um, fires – um, are key to a, a healthy ecosystem. And mm-hmm. sometimes you need to have these these fires to kind of renew the ecosystem. And it's sort of like, these are like little spot fires all over the country
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, that are sort of clearing out some of the underbrush and kind of renewing mm-hmm. that health ecosystem. Um, and you know, that's, you know, it can literally happen one company at a time, one community at a time. And I think that's gonna be the way it, it ultimately plays out. And, you know, again, going back to sort of how does change happen, um, you know, you think about the recent Paris Climate Accord, mm-hmm. you know, that really I'd argue the biggest driver in that was the city slash counties climate declaration, where um, there was frustration that the national governments weren't doing anything, so that actually started in Seattle/King slash County. Eventually, Bloomberg came on board. By the time the Paris Accord signed, there was over a thousand cities and counties on board, and, and you know there was so much support, and there was a lot of things that could be done there. You know, because seventy percent of of those um, you know uh, you know CO two emissions happen at city level, so they mm-hmm. can do. You know, mm-hmm. so some of the things you can do and can control and, you know, you start making and then success breeds success. And, you know, you look at solar now and solar is cost competitive with like coal or anything sure. Sure. has a lot of other advantages. So, um, you know, see that happening.
0: And now we, we had said a, a little bit earlier, um, you know, about having that sort of patient in the center of all of this. And the patient, and perhaps the caregiver for that patient, and yeah. one of the a bigger buzzword that I'm hearing a lot lately is it's all about patient engagement. So you have to engage the patient, inform the patient. Um, what is your definition of patient engagement, and and is that getting lost? Not it doesn't sound like it's getting lost in the examples that we just gave. Yeah. But let's say in healthcare overall, is that getting lost?
1: Well, you know, like a lot of buzzwords, it can become, you know, turn into just kind of a marketing trope and just kind of a veneer. Um, but the thing that you find in the the sincere places is it's not a nice to have, like, let's just do this little thing and throw the patient some bones. Like it's a fundamental rethink. Um, and What I see in these winning organizations that are achieving the quadruple aim is, you know, it's almost as traumatic as, I call it the Copernican moment, where they realize, oh, the patient is actually truly at the center of this. Like I said, not just as some marketing line, but it causes you to think very differently. And almost everything in our system is designed around the convenience of the healthcare system, not the convenience of the patient. And, you know, even the terms we use, I mean, I just gag when I hear compliance. I mean, it's like compliance is something that juvenile delinquents should be doing. Um, you know, adherence is a little better Mm -hmm. achievement, achievements far better. That's when there is that, that teaming that happens. And, you know, when you see the success, it takes two to tango. Mm I mean, that's when I, you know, when um, you know, I, I co-wrote this book, um, on patient engagement and I tell people, it's like, I'll save you whatever horrendous amount of money they're charging for this. Um, and it boils down to, it's about the money that takes two to tango. If you want to achieve patient engagement, you know, you got to have the proper payment models. And then the two to tango is, you know, what we we're talking about earlier, where, the most challenging patient populations imaginable have been tackled when they have done that well and they don't just take the old approach. And, you know, things like health coaches. Well, it turns out doctors don't have the time or training to do a lot of the things to get at the psychosocial mm-hmm. behavior factors. Mm-hmm. Health coaches, people of the community that the patients are in, have done amazing jobs they happen to be less expensive too which is kind of you know a bonus from the healthcare spending but um uh ultimately to get engagement they have that partnership and it's you know it's not radically different than you know you have a workout buddy you got somebody you're accountable to somebody who cares about you you're more apt to do it um and that's really what happens and and you know different people have different objectives somebody like I want to dance at my daughter's wedding or I want to be able to play with my kids or I want to go up and down the stairs without pain like have some human you know and patient defined outcomes like Mm -hmm. that's that's when things start to really work and you have a different mindset versus this compliance mindset that just frankly rarely works
0: right yeah I mean it's it's, it reminds me of a, a conversation I had a couple of months ago with a girl who had some serious chronic pain issues. And she said, you know, when a patient goes in, like, no one's goal in life is to have zero out of 10 pain.
1: Right. You know, right. like,
0: your goal in life, like you said, is to walk down the aisle of your child, to walk your daughter down the aisle, or to play sports on the weekends. Or to be able to go to work, to be able to get out of bed. You know, it can be something very simple. It doesn't have to be a big grand gesture. But rarely do I have a patient that comes in and says, you know, my big goal is to have zero out of 10 pain and five out of five strength. Right.
1: (laughs) Right.
0: You know what I mean? It's like that's usually not the patient's goal. Their goal is a little more personal. And, And I think it takes kind of like what you said before where you have to give your care for the people, not to them. So you're not operating on them. You're interacting with them. Yeah. And I think that's when you get the patient on board.
1: Well, and it's, you know, it's like any relationship. That's when, I mean, yes, that's great for the patient, but it's great for the clinician too, to see them achieve that and you know, you played a part in that. I mean it's it's a little awesome. bit like when when you see your kids succeed. It's incredible. Yeah. Like that's you know, that's much better than just like ramming it down their throat and forcing it. Like that doesn't it's not the way it works. That's not the way people have success and it's incredibly fulfilling to see that.
0: Yep. And that's where, you know there's a psychologist, his name is Mark Jensen, and I heard him speak a couple of months ago at a conference and the one thing that he said is what he tries to do when he's with his clients is he doesn't say, you know, you should do this. You have to do this. You should do this. if You know what I mean? Versus yeah. saying kind of like what you said before, give the patient some choices or at least yeah. give them the idea that they have some choice in this.
1: Yeah, And it yeah. goes
0: back to exactly what you said before. If you give the person one choice, they're going to choose that choice. But yeah. if you talk through to the patient and that patient says, oh, so I I feel like if I do this, whether it be X, X, Y, Z once a day, and then I can do this another day, they're more likely to incorporate that into their everyday routine. And again, be more engaged, if you will.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I think sometimes that gets a little lost. I know I'm guilty of that, certainly saying, you know, well, you have to do two sets of 10 four times a day.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you
0: know, and the patient looks at you like, uh, deers in a headlight, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like,
0: like, what are you kidding me? And I think that's maybe when you might lose some people.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, they are individuals. Mm -hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I like the word individuals, uh, over patients because Mm -hmm. it, you know, it has kind of that double meaning. Um, and you know, some of us, you tell us to do four sets of 10 or whatever. We're like, great we're on it. Um, other people, you know, for whatever reason, they've got a more complicated life or something else works for them. Um, you know, you, you, you figure it out and you you can look at that as a burden or you can look at that as kind of part of the the joy of humanity of figuring different people out and cracking the code.
0: Yeah. And it's the same thing, you know, from an individual level, it's the same thing that the Pittsburgh school district did, you know, they had to find a more creative choice. Yeah. And so as the practitioner, you find a more creative choice. Yep. It's, it's that simple and that hard all at the same time. Yep. <laughs> Cause I, <laughs> I, I mean, it's like you said, when you're dealing with an individual and you're dealing with a person, that's a whole, it's a whole, they have their own system, their whole ecosystem that they're living around and you're just a little part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So and, true. Yeah. And so I think sometimes that gets a little lost, especially when you're in that environment of one patient after the other, after another.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is when it just becomes, you're a cog in the wheel, they're a cog in the wheel. Mm -hmm. Um, it's pretty hard to get to that point. Um, and that's where, you know, when you're, you're focused in on the real, what the real goal should be and you have a, uh, reimbursement system that supports that, Mm -hmm. you know, some patients, you know, a text message or an email may be sufficient and others, it might be an hour and right. now, and it might be that same person's the opposite, you know, need the next, you know, month or year or whatever. Yeah. Um,
0: and so where do you see, we'll kind of sort of finish out our, our talk here with, I think maybe with this question, but where do you see, because I'm a physical therapist, I have to ask. Where do you see the physical therapy profession fitting into this Health 3.0? And what can we do as a profession to be part of that emergent change?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, you know, a lot of what we are talking about is very aligned. And, you know, the I think the physical therapy profession operates in a very evidence, person-centric, kind of slow medicine way, mm-hmm. which I think are very aligned with Health 3.0. Um, and, um, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, I, I'm expecting to have some lively discussions around at the Graham discussions Mm is, or the Graham sessions is, you know, we have this health Rosetta, which is, you know, starting out at kind of the purchasing level. Um, but how do we, um, you know, is there an opportunity to actually bring that into, areas PT, you know, addresses such as, uh, musculoskeletal, could we, you know, is there such thing as sort of like a, you know, a fair, you know, there's fair trade for coffee is like, is there a fair trade for musculoskeletal that, you know, there could hmm. be some agreed upon approaches that, um, you know, can guide, uh, purchasers and help educate them. And then, uh, at some level, enabling them to be in a position to best take advantage of the unique things that the physical therapy profession brings to the table. Like a lot, of, you, know, the, you, you know, you're know, you immersed in it, they're not. Mm-hmm. So how do you put them in a better position? Um, and I think that, you know, we need to kind of help them help themselves on that. And I think that certainly is very applicable here, particularly when you look at um, – uh, You know, musculoskeletal certainly being one of the big areas that physical therapy addresses. And I know of another employer, large employer, that, you know, their overall company earnings were very significantly impacted just by doing musculoskeletal disorder management properly. Mm. I mean, it was like it was that level, the CEO level visibility like literally impacting the market cap of the com- the company okay. um so you know though there are those type of opportunities it's such a huge area um, so you know looking to to having lively discussions with people and you know I've got some thoughts I'm sure they'll have better mm-hmm. ones and hopefully we'll get to something that we can push forward together on
0: yeah i mean i i I think that's great and i'm glad I'm so glad that you Well, I'm not glad that you had low back pain, but I'm, I'm glad that you were able to have an experience with physical therapy. That was very positive because often, oftentimes it's people just, they don't know what they don't know. And so maybe as a profession, we do have to do a better job at, at pushing out this information so that people can make a better choice. Hello? Yep, you're here.
1: Okay, sorry.
0: Oh, no, it's okay. Okay. Yeah, so what I said was, um, I'm sorry that you had back pain, Yeah. but um, I'm happy that you had a good experience with physical therapy, and so you kind of understand what we can do as, as musculoskeletal experts, and I think that we probably do need to do a little bit better job of Pushing what we do out to prospective individuals or patients or clients, um, so that they can make that choice, so that their only choice isn't just surgery.
1: Yeah, exactly, and and I think that it's it's something that would be well received. Um, and I think when we're in a prof- any profession, we can take for granted that others know what we know. Um, And so I think there's, there's definitely an opportunity there to to team up and and be a real partner with them.
0: Yeah. uh, I couldn't agree more. Well, Dave, I want to thank you for taking the time out today for coming on the podcast. And I definitely look forward to meeting you in a couple days in sunny St. Petersburg, Florida.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. And thanks for the opportunity today.
0: Yeah, sure. And now where can people, uh, find you? How can they find out more about you?
1: Um, well, I'm Chase Dave on just about everything. Um, Twitter, Gmail, uh, LinkedIn, um, you know, you can Google me and I'm, I'm quite accessible on, on those uh, different sources. And, and you can also go to healthrosetta.org for some of the stuff we talked about um, as well.
0: Awesome. And then we will, and of course, this will all be up on podcast.healthywealthysmart.com up on our website. And we'll also link to the TED Talk too.
1: Great. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Yeah,
0: let's put every so if if you want to find out more about Dave, you want to watch his TED talk, find out what he's doing, just go to podcast.healthy com. It'll all be in the show notes. So Dave, thanks so much for coming on. And everyone, thank you so much for listening to this special episode, midweek episode of Healthy, Wealthy and Smart. And of course you can find me on Twitter at Karen NYC and Facebook dot com slash Healthy, Wealthy, Smart. So everybody, thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart.